Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, it's been a minute. Uh, you went to Summer League, so we took a little bit of break there so that you could deal with that and not have to deal with time zones and everything going on with that. So that is where we're going to start. How was Summer League? It was great. It's uh, the first time I've been back in several years. Uh, I had not been since the pandemic, so it, it had been a while for me. And it, but you fall right back into that environment. It's uh, it's it's such a cool setup. The the way they have it set up in Las Vegas, they have two gyms which are connected by the concourse. So it's literally you walk across the hall and you're uh, able to go from gym to gym. And Thomas and Mac were you and V plays that is the the uh, quote unquote big gym that's the you know arena setup and then you have the Cox Pavilion which is right there you literally next to it you don't even go outside you just walk you know across the concourse that is set up more like a small college gym gym maybe a high school uh, you know good sized high school gym um and that's the smaller gym and they they play games there uh, sometimes there's up to 8 games in a day and it's a lot of fun you get to just kind of bounce around and the funny thing is summer league is only I like to say tangentially about the basketball because a lot of the times was you're crossing or you're going somewhere, you end up in the concourse for 20, 30 minutes in the middle of a conversation with someone. And this was a chance for me to see a lot of people in person that I haven't seen in years in person. People I so some some people I talk to, you know, if not daily, at least weekly. And it's uh it was great to see them in person and catch up and all that. So absolute you know, blast uh, out there in Las Vegas. So is it like a radio row kind of feel like the Super Bowl has with the NFL? Yeah, I think it's a, a little bit different in that it's not it's it's not as um it doesn't feel as organized in, in that sense. Where you know Radio Row, I've only been once to Super Bowl Radio Row. And that was more of a like, all right, every station has their own little setup here and and people are going up and down and people are being walked over. This is more casual. You you just run into people in that. And then the the executives and the coaches and the players who don't really want to be, you know, hassled or or talk to anybody else. They they know how to get in and out of the places and the 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 uh, NBA does a good job getting them where they need to be without having to run into a lot of people. But I, I will say this, it's a very relaxed environment because the draft is over. Free agency is largely complete by the time summer leagues really fully cranking and everybody's basically kind of just move, moving on with, with, with their teams and the like. Now there's obviously there's a few things hanging out there, you know, with uh stuff, but it's, you know, they're, they're, those things will get resolved or they get resolved. So you do get a lot of people who are you know, very open to talking and have conversations. The players are great, uh, whether it be the, the guys actually playing in summer league or, uh, quite often you see their NBA uh, established like all-star level counterparts will show up for a day or two. And it's a great way if you're a fan of the game to see some of those players up close and personal. And uh, even, you know, some for a lot of people, it's it's a great way to you know meet them and get an autograph and, you know, that sort of stuff or get a picture. And it's it's really cool to see that part of it, too, because it is such a casual environment. 
So what's the difference between the California Classic, <laughs> the Las Vegas Summer League, and Salt Lake City Summer League? Yeah, and, and you know that the Orlando-based guy here, you know, mourns the uh, passing of the old Orlando Summer League because it was literally right down the street from my house, and I could get to that very easily. So Las Vegas Summer League, which is when you hear people say Summer League, that's generally the one they're talking about. That's the big one. That That's the big deal. All 30 teams are there. Uh, everybody plays at least four games, I think maybe five games now, um, the way they have it set up. And that, that's that's the big one. The California Classic is run by the Sacramento Kings. And this year, I think they had six teams there. They played over a couple of days. Uh, they had everybody in and, you know, everybody played a couple games ahead of Las Vegas and went to it. And Sacramento to Las Vegas is a fairly short trip so you had teams who wanted to get in a little extra experience uh in there to to attend that and then salt lake city which is it's kind of come and then it went away for a little while and then it came back it used to be called the rocky mountain review um that is uh there in salt lake city and that is uh run by the jazz obviously and that's the same kind of thing as the california classic i think they had four teams there i think everybody played three games and it's just a chance for those teams to get a little extra work in ahead of the big one in las vegas so what kind of players are eligible to play in these is it mostly rookie guys that were just drafted is there veteran players and i'm 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 speaking from you know playing dumb here i know some of the <laughs> sure. answers to these but for for an educational standpoint for those that are listening and aren't familiar with summer league who are the eligible players that can be a part of these summer league games and tournaments yeah really anybody can but most teams they bring their first year players so all the guys they just drafted or occasionally guys they signed as undrafted players maybe a guy who's going to be on a two-way contract or go to camp with the team they'll be there a lot of times you'll see second year players come second year players often they, they i like to say they make a cameo appearance they might come play a game or two show yeah they're too good for this and then move along uh and then you get into occasionally there's a third year guy or a fourth year guy if they're out there it's either they haven't shown much in their career and haven't had a chance to play or maybe they've had injuries that have held them back and then after that it's a whole bunch of guys who are trying to find their way into a job uh, whether it be with an NBA team or with a G League team or quite often it's an overseas team and one of the interesting aspects that happens throughout the course of summer league is these teams will start with 12 sometimes even 15 players on their summer league rosters and then you'll see them drop down to only having you know by the end sometimes 10 guys uh, there in Las Vegas playing because guys have signed contracts or come to an agreement with another team and and if those other teams are hey we don't want you playing for the uh you know the the orlando magic summer league team because you're going to come play you know for us in germany uh they they'll they will see the player will drop out and move you know move on because they've, they've now accomplished what they came to accomplish but for the most part a lot of these guys are looking for spots in the league so do these players get do they get a stipend? Do they get paid, especially for guys that are not already on NBA team rosters? How does that work? Yeah, most of the guys there are getting you know a pretty good per diem um, that, that they're getting uh, from the teams, and and it's generally you know the per diem. You kind of think of it as a uh, 
all right, well, that's to cover food and all that. But a lot of them are eating uh, the meals provided by the team. So that that's their extra. And then then you'll see the, the guys who are under contract. It's generally stipulated in a lot of the contracts that, you know, if asked, you'll play summer league. Um, so that's that's part of it there. There, there. Even some guys may even have um, incentives written into their contract that they'll play. Uh, in summer league so that obviously keeps them there and we're ready to go so uh that that's that's you know more or less what it is but yeah they're, they're being paid to be there and there is some injury protections and those kind of things um on those deals that get get guys taken care of if something happens uh to them but it's 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 still a a bit of a risk it's not you know like if you get hurt while on a guaranteed nba contract or anything like that yeah, that, I'm glad you asked answered that question about injured player protections because that was my next question that I was going to be because you know there were some semi high profile names that had some injuries there and um, so I was curious to know what kind of protections they had even though they they'd signed guaranteed contracts you know uh, for the most part yeah for the most part with you know anyone who was like drafted in the first round even if they get hurt in summer league it's you know you drafted them in the first round for not this year right you're 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 entering into a long-term our relationship with them even now the second rounders with this new second round pick exception which is you know really taken off and teams are using it left and right that's been a big thing too so even if a guy goes down that's a rostered player they're obviously taken care of but anybody else there, there is you know some level of kind of i guess the best way to refer to it almost be like insurance on those guys mm-hmm. to get them uh, taken care of so who does the coaching for these uh, these teams? Is it usually the head coach or is it an assistant coach that's looking to just get some more experience as a head coach for a quote-unquote NBA-type uh, caliber team? Uh, how, how does that work? Yeah, it's a little all over the board. It's generally an assistant coach um, on the staff that they're they're going to get give it uh, give the opportunity to. Sometimes it's to show they can kind of run a sideline and run a rotation. Now, it's a little bit different because quite often teams come in with, "Hey, player X is you know he's a second year guy." we don't want him playing more than you know 25 minutes where we're just, you know, we, we want to see him out there and see what he can do. And then other times it is, Hey, we need to really, you know, make a decision on player Y. So let's make sure he's out there. Let's put him in this role and those kind of things. Those, those are discussed as a kind of organization going into summer league of what some of those plans are. But uh, every once in a while, you'll get a head coach, especially if they're a first time head coach with a new team, uh, you'll see them step in and coach. And then, Sometimes for those staffs that have been established and together for a very long time, you might even see them handed over to like a video coordinator and those kind of guys, especially towards the end of the summer league. It's it, you're out there for 10 days. So uh, if, if you're you know playing later in the summer league, they might even hand it over then to somebody else and split it up and say, okay, you know, coach X is going to coach, you know, games one and two, and then coach Y is going to coach games three and four and coach Z is going to coach, you know, game five and we'll, we'll hand it that way so you know everybody gets a, an opportunity a little bit here so you've provided us with a notebook dump <laughs> we did part one last night uh part two is going to be posted after this and i forgot to say we're recording this on a friday july 14th at 10 o'clock so uh that east Notebook dump is going to get dropped here shortly after we're done recording here. And then the West notebook dump is going to come. The The part one general NBA stuff was phenomenal. I, I loved reading some of those 
anonymous quotes just to see the different perspectives of, you know, NBA front office people that you were able to speak to. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the East and the West has to say. Um, with that being said, what are your uh, key points that you want to highlight from the notebook dump and or overreactions to players <laughs> that you actually saw play or anything like that? I love that. that you put it as overreactions because that's really what it is, right? <laughs> Victor Wembanyama struggled in his first game and legitimate people were like, I don't know, maybe this kid doesn't have it. And then the second game, it was like, all right, get his Hall of Fame you know, uh, plaque ready where we're ready to go. <laughs> and it's I, it's funny. I put in there, it's I, I saw a scout um, and I put put in there from him, um, which was really cool. He said to me years ago when I first started going to summer league, you know, gosh, probably, you know, a decade ago he said to me he said summer league doesn't tell you who can play but sometimes it can tell you who can't play um and i thought that was pretty cool quote and i ran into him on this trip and i haven't seen him in years and we were talking and then then i said what's you know changed and i said remember what i told you years ago and he repeated the quote and that's in in the uh the notebook that's that's up and posted on the general thoughts so yeah i mean i thought when binyama looked tired in his first game I, i think People forget this guy played deeper into the year than even the NBA Finals teams did. So it would be almost kind of like, you know, saying, hey, you know, you played and then, you know, let's get out there and play again, you know, only a couple weeks later in a completely different environment. He talked about how he hadn't really even had a practice with those guys who so was just kind of, you know, out there. Uh, second game, he looked great, you know, and, and you know, that's going to be how it goes for him as a rookie. He's going to have games where he looks awesome. He's going to have games where he doesn't look so good, but the, the, everything is there, all the skills, the potential and all that. And it's, I think for the people who were seeing him in person for the first time, obviously his size is shocking and he looks even bigger than he is because he's so skinny. He just looks like his you know, arms and legs go on forever. But the other thing is he's so fluid at that size. He really moves well. There's very little awkwardness in his game, which is a lot of fun. So he's going to be, he's going to be really, really good. And I'm excited to watch him uh, develop here over the next uh, several years. And then just in general, you know, I, I don't want to spoil too much from, from the pieces, but there there's notes in there about certain players and, and I break it up where I'll, I'll inject my own opinion on things at times. So, so I was able to uh, put some of those thoughts in there and there, there are some guys that um. I'm worried about, and then there's other guys that it's like, yeah, you could see within a minute or two, this, this guy doesn't need to be here. He's far too good for this summer league stuff. And you know, there's no reason for him to play. So, uh, you know, just typical of summer league in that, that respect. Yeah, it's great. I hope a lot of people go and check out that notebook dump. Like I said, we'll, we'll drop the East here after we're done recording and then the West probably what later this afternoon. Yeah, I think so. I've got a little Um, bit more transcription to do. There's a, it's, these were I I made sure to seek out at least one person, whether it be a front office executive, a coach, a scout, or a player from every single team. So I talked to at least one person from every, all thirty teams. Generally, it's more like three or four people. Sometimes, you know, you you they travel in packs. So sometimes, if you can get them to stop for a couple minutes, it's you know you're you're almost talking to three or four people at once. And then I take you know all the the kind of best nuggets out of those things and put them in into the notebook. Yeah, it's great. Take, take a look. 
give it a read. It's something that we've never really had something like this on SpotTrack.com. So take a look and uh, give us your thoughts. Hit up Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter and wherever else you might be at this point with all the socials going on. Transitioning to back to the offseason as far as contracts, trades, extensions, and all of that, um, I, I wanted to piggyback on Mike's conversation on the Spot Track podcast from yesterday. Uh, he broke down the no trade clause history in conjunction with the Dame request and uh, for being traded and wanting to go to the Heat and the conversation of back and forth with Bradley Beal had the no trade clause where Dame does not have a no trade clause. So I just wanted to piggyback on that conversation with a quick recap of the rules of how a player can get a full no trade clause in the NBA and what the full no trade clause means uh, long term. Does it transfer? uh, If they sign a new contract, can they include that? So can you give us a real quick breakdown of the the rules for the full no trade clause yeah so the to to get a no trade clause you had it starts out with the most simple rule is to be eligible for it and that is you have to be in the nba for at least eight seasons you have to have eight years of service and you have to have four seasons with the same team now What's important to note is they don't necessarily need to be four consecutive seasons with, with the same team. In most cases, they are. Uh, but you could have been with a team for two years, leave and come back, and two years later, and you're in your 10th year in the league, and you could get a no-trade clause. The other important thing is you can't have a no-trade clause in an extension unless it existed in the prior contract that's being extended. So in the case of someone like uh, Damian Lillard, he does not have a no trade clause because he has repeatedly extended his contract and he's never had one before. Bradley Beal, if we rewind to a year ago, he became a free agent. He actually, his contract expired. He became a free agent and he signed a new deal with the Washington Wizards, which did allow him to get that no trade clause in there. So they're very rare. Bradley Beal has the only negotiated one in the league right now um, with with that. And And I'll talk about the differences there in a second. So he's got the only negotiated uh, no trade clause in the NBA. He obviously approved the trade to Phoenix. That carries over. He's got that now in, in his deal with the Suns. Um, and that carries, you know, if the Suns go to trade him again to some other team, you know, down the line, he can still uh, veto that trade and say no and say, I'm not interested in going there. So so that's how, how they work. That's why they're pretty rare. It's hard to first to qualify to get one. And with the way guys, especially the very best players, continually extend their contracts, it's rare to get one in there. Like Stephen Curry, who's been one of the best players in the league for what almost a decade and a half now. He's never had a no trade clause because all he's ever done is extend his deals. Uh, so that that's why he, he does not have one. Um, that, that's, that's the basic on the negotiated, no trade. Can can I I stop you there? Is that a, is that a big flaw in the CBA or from the player side where you pretty much have to be the free agent in order to get a no trade clause and you can't have that included in these extensions for players that are lifers with golden state or have been a lifer with Portland? Yeah, I guess from the player side, it would be, but the team side, they, they don't, they don't want them. 
right? They, they in general, they don't even want to give them out. So, so I, I can kind of see it going both ways with, with that one where it's, yeah, I think more players would love to have them because it just gives them more control and, uh, you know, ability to kind of, you know, own their, their destiny with things. But from, from the team side, I can understand why teams are like, no, we're good. We're, we're happy with it the, the way it is for now. Yeah. I mean, with the way free agency is going and it's, you know, going by the dodo as far as who's actually getting to free agency because of all the extensions that are happening and, and whatnot, the no trade clause is going to go by the dodo as well at this point, because, there's not going to be enough players that are ever going to be eligible to sign a contract to, to include that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you they're, they're already pretty rare and they're only going to, I think, continue to stay just as rare because it's pretty, if you want to keep a guy, especially with the improved extension rules now, where it's 140% of the prior salary, it it makes sense that, that these teams are just going to basically say, you know, hey, you didn't have one before. Let's just keep things things moving. And yeah, we'll, we'll see if maybe the whole Bradley Beal situation sparks a new generation of you know veteran free agents who have been in a place for a while to say, you know what, I'll let my deal expire because, you know, why not? And then, then we'll kind of go from there. But I think in general, when you throw hundreds in, you know, we're getting closer to, you know, quarter of a billion dollars in front of a player, they're pretty uh, willing to say, no, nah, let me take that money right now versus waiting a whole year uh, for my contract to play out just to get a no trade clause. All right. Interesting. Oh, stuff. let's hit on uh, one uh, thing. Sorry, Scott, before we come yeah, off, because there's another type of, of no trade uh, clause that comes in the NBA, and that's an implied no trade trade clause or a de facto no trade clause that you know depends on where where you really want to uh call it and what when those come up those are generally they're a uh you know, specific type of situation. The one that is most common is when a player signs a one-year contract or a one-year contract with an option year uh, to be a free agent after, which is seen as a, you know, essentially still a one-year deal. Uh, Those players, if they're going to have early bird or bird rights at the end, they get a no trade clause with the team they're signing with. So what happens in those situations is if they're traded while on that one-year deal, uh, this also goes into effect for any player playing under the qualifying offer. So in uh, this case, Miles Bridges this year signed his qualifying offer with the Charlotte Hornets. What happens with those guys is you end up in a spot where those players are um, in a position where they can they can uh, veto any trade because they lose their bird rights. If they're traded, they, they get knocked back a level with bird rights. So, so you see that that does come up every once in a while. One of the uh, more famous examples was um, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope was rumored to be in, be uh, on the trade block from the Lakers for years and years. And then one of the things that was always said was, yeah, but he's not going to approve a trade because why would he want to leave the Lakers? And that, that was always kind of seen as maybe a potential sticking point. He was eventually traded. So I don't know if that was necessarily true or not, but, but that was one of the things that, that was out there. And we've seen, if we go way, way back to Von George, uh, you know, years and years ago, back in the, you know, Kobe and Shaq era Lakers uh, type things, they tried to trade him and he, he actually had this and blocked a trade 
uh, that he needed to be a part of to make the trade work. And it was everybody's like, why does Devon George have a no trade clause? He's, you know, this you know, bit role player at the end of the bench. You know, what's going on with that? The other type comes in uh, with which is they don't call it a no trade clause, but it's a trade restriction. And there's all sorts of those for varying amounts of time, anywhere from, you know, two months to, uh, you know, really, I guess, 30 days for guys who sign rookie deals all the way up to, you know, one year for players who sign uh, the, the uh, certain types of extensions. So so it's just important to understand all those. And and because we endeavor to be one stop shopping, we have all those restrictions listed on every uh, player and team page on spot track for for the nba if anybody is trade restricted <laughs> that we do that we thanks do. to you uh, I, i'm not going to take any credit for that one. that's all your hard work <laughs> yeah thank you um yeah and we've actually seen a few players wave this yeah. uh, right to veto correct this yep. year and that's and, a new and, thing and you, in this you, new cba sorry to interrupt say, you but yeah you yeah, you brought that up on Twitter that this is a new thing. I think that when D'Angelo Russell, you started with yep. that, correct? Yeah, D'Angelo Russell believed to be the first one. He's the first one we know of, at least, that has, uh, you know, he waived the ability to veto a trade. He basically said, yeah, I'll resign. And generally how this works is it was probably something like, hey, you know, I want you know, X amount of money and the Lakers are like, yeah, we want to do this. And then it's, what if I, what if I waive my ability to, you know, to, to be uh, veto a trade Lakers when I said, okay, we'll give you a little extra to do that. And that, and that's obviously, I'm just guessing I, I wasn't sitting in on those negotiations by any means, but my guess is that's kind of where, where these things play out. And the other one, uh, oddly enough is Mo Wagner of the Orlando magic, uh, who got a bigger than expected contract, uh, that, you know, than anybody thought, but he also vetoed or waived his, his ability to veto a trade too. So, so we're going to start to see that kind of become a thing on these players who are playing either on a one-year deal or a, uh, you know, one plus one, but that has to be done at the time of signing. Uh, anybody who's already in that kind of established position isn't, can't, can't go back and retroactively do that. It would have to be done on any new contracts. It's just another layer to the new CBA that just gives negotiation power one way or mm-hmm. the other. It's it, it's fascinating because it's just, you know, it just opens up more doors. Like you said, they can go in and say, I'll waive this if you give me yep. more money um, or I'll keep it and you give me a little bit less money so that I know I'm staying here. It's just it's fascinating stuff, um, which that's a great transition into the free agent contracts. We'll go through those uh, because we have specifics now and we're pretty close to, I'd say probably between 90 and 95% of the uh, signed extensions and free agents and rookies. We have official content on the site. The purples are quickly disappearing. There's only a few left. So we're going to start with the free agent contracts uh, based on, the official deals that we've seen any surprises that you've noticed uh yeah i think um it's we're, we're free agency such a game right especially in the reporting of things where we get to see a lot of uh you know, you'll get a number and then when we get the real number it often comes in lower the, the initial number is almost always more player friendly uh than what the actual contract would be i think uh 
couple examples of that that really jump out is Kyle Kuzma. Uh, he he's really on a four year ninety million dollar extension. Uh, when it was reported that he got one hundred and two million, now he could he could get there. Uh, you know, but he's got to achieve a bunch of bonuses that are currently termed uh, unlikely. Kyrie Irving came in uh, lower than expected. We, we uh, you know, but you know when it went through a couple of those, Chris Middleton's deal came in you know considerably less other uh, than expected. Same with Cam Johnson's. I thought Kyle Kuzma's uh, contract being a uh, descending or declining contract year to year was interesting because uh, he's that it's funny yeah, oddly enough when I wrote uh, his uh, next contract series that was something that I said would be smart for Washington to do but I did it in conjunction with as Bradley Beal's deal gets more expensive having Kuzma on a less expensive deal would you know, open up some flexibility but still works the same way so those were some of the more interesting things that jumped out as far as that and then of course we had Dylan Burks go completely the other way uh, where all of a sudden, you know, it started out. I think what the initial reports were like four for 80. Then it jumped to like four for 82, then four for 86. And now it's four for 90 with some incentives potentially in there, which is, you know, that's, uh, you know, I'll reserve judgment on on how much Dylan Brooks should or shouldn't have gotten paid. But but that's, you know, just, just kind, of, kind of a funny thing, you know, just the way that all came together. Yeah, the Kuzma contract is interesting, especially with the projected cap to continue to go up, and now mm-hmm. you have a descending contract. So from the conversations that we've been having for over the last two months with dealing with trades is, you know, add that fluff or have higher salaries so that you have that matching. Now they have a lower salary at the back end of that from a matching standpoint. So in, interesting from that um, th- that perspective I, I will say with at least the Kuzma and a couple other contracts, the reporting, they've at least started to do a better job of saying up to. Sure. So as soon as you start <laughs> to see the words yep. up to, you know, there's built in incentives of some yep. sort. So I will have to say from the media side, at least they're starting to do better on that. Um, and then you and I are items. like, uh, what's up to, you know, how much up <laughs> right. to, right? Like, like where, where, where are we starting from? That's the, you know, but, right. but we get there. It just takes, you know, in this case, so a week or so to figure it out. Yeah. And, and having put in all these deals and dealing with likely incentives or unlikely incentives and, um, you know, it, it's just, it fascinates me from a, a, being a numbers guy the the way some of the the numbers that they come up with for what incentives are going to be likely or unlikely mm-hmm. or you know it, it, the the numbers that it just happens to work out to you know nine million dollars exactly but all the values are completely random yeah type it feels that way it's percentages and yeah. in, in that so I I find that I geek out on that kind of nerdy stuff um, from the number standpoint but. My observation is I saw a lot of the likely and unlikelies thrown in. We're continuing to see the player option, but we're starting to see like with the Fred Van Vliet contract, having a a team option. My guess with that contract is they said, we're going to pay you that high value maximum salary, but you're going to have to have this club option team option on the back end to allow us to at least shorten this if we need to. Uh, so I find that interesting, but overall teams are spending They're They're getting to the floor. 
they're, uh, you know, the league is very financially healthy, whether the player is going back to the team that they went to or going to a new team because they had cap space. The teams know that they have to spend now because they don't want to lose out on tax distribution. So whether you you sign these contracts and now we're at least from me putting in these year after year, I'm seeing more and more of these unlikely or likely incentives being put in, whether it's, you know, it is strategic from one aspect or another, but it's, we're seeing more of them being included because of the ability for a team to potentially be hard capped in more ways than there has been in the past. Yeah, it's definitely true. And to, to hit on a couple of the points you made, we're sitting here in the middle of July and every team's over the floor. Uh, we, we haven't seen that in, in a while. There's usually at least one or two teams that are hanging out and they, they carry a ton of cap space into the season. And then, you know, the Spurs, we saw them do that last year. The Pacers, uh, they both used it in different ways. The Spurs ate some contracts over the course of, of the uh, season. The Utah Jazz did that uh, to some extent as well last season. And then the Pacers, obviously, they used a bunch of their remaining cap space uh, to renegotiate and extend Miles Turner in season. What's different this year is you can't carry all that cap space. You got to, if you're below the floor, let's say you were 20 million below the salary floor, which is 90% of the salary cap. If you were well below that, uh, what was going to happen on day one of the regular season, they were going to put a cap hold on your books that basically sits there and says, no, you can still have that you know, little bit of difference between the floor and the, and the cap itself, which is only, well, let me make sure I got, got the right number here. That's only, it's about 14 million. You can still have that as wiggle room, but we're, we're not going to let you sit on 20, 30 million in cap space anymore because they want it going to, players now right they they, they want it being uh paid out to players so i think they're there we saw some teams make moves to uh that were squeezed on the top end you know and some guys move along and move to different teams i you know the warriors uh traded out some long-term salary commitments to bring in shorter term salary commitments they lost a guy like dante divincenzo because they had no way to retain him and then you saw you know, a lot of these other teams, San Antonio, Indiana, Utah, spend money and come up and get up over the floor uh, moving forward. So I think that the new CBA, uh, how do I phrase this? Uh, pieces of it are working as intended. I don't know that the hope was the Phoenix Suns would emerge and blow right past, you know, every restriction that could have been possible. But for the most part, you know, we're seeing these guys, uh, you know, cook, or we're seeing these teams rather spend money and get get to a good place. I think the most interesting contract that we put in from a logistics standpoint, which you made note on, on Twitter is the Jeff green contract yeah. and how it was two for 16, but out of the gate, it was non-guaranteed <laughs> yep. uh, it, it, eight, 8 million each year. Can you explain why the, why the team specifically timed their non-guaranteed to be guaranteed two days ago. <laughs> it, I, I know there's a, a certain reason. So can you explain that for? Yeah. So what the Rockets very clearly wanted to do was they wanted to sign Jeff green uh, to a contract with a very um, uh, early or excuse me, a later guarantee date. 
So what they did in order to do that was they made his first year of his contract guaranteed. Now, you can correct me, but it doesn't really matter. He signed something like the 8th of July, and then they made it uh, fully guaranteed on July 11th. And that seems silly, right? Because it's like, why would you bother? Well, in order to have a non-guaranteed second year with a date that was July 11th or later, the Rockets had to do it this way. You can't have a later guarantee date um, that 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 comes you know but behind that one, like that behind the year prior. So so what they did was they set this up so it was going to be non guaranteed this year, always was going to guarantee, and then it did, and then that second year that is able to sit there with that. I believe it's July 11th non guarantee date now. So so that's where, where the Rockets and Jeff Green were content having this at. And my guess is. Going this whole route of, hey, we're only going to guarantee one year, that got Jeff Green some more money in year one of his contract because he may not have gotten that kind of money had he not uh, you know, gone through this whole you know, silliness of you know, non-guaranteed first year but guaranteed days later. Uh, this is actually the second time the Rockets have done this. They did it with, a, I'm going to give you a bat blast from the past here, Costas Papanikolaou. Um, is the other guy that they did this very similar type thing with where you had to, you know, mess around and play with the guarantee dates and they gave him a non-guaranteed year, which guaranteed, you know, just a day or two later. And then in order to get that on the next year. So that just, you know, kind of some kind of fun cat mechanics there to, to get ultimately to the contract you want to be on. I think you're muted, Scott. Yes, I was. <laughs> Apologize That's for right. that. The kids are in and out of the house right now, so uh, <laughs> muted there. Um, the The other aspect with this is it's $1.6 million likely incentives. Um, so, you know, I, I just love the creativity, not only that what Houston has done, but just teams across the league, just being creative with how they structure a deal with the likely or unlikely or you know, throwing in. The other thing is the, the trade bonus that's uh-huh. been put in, 15%. I mean, I think we've seen almost all the trade bonuses that have gone in have been 15%, nothing lower than that if they've been mm-hmm. in there. So th- that that's something – to watch and that's out the max for, too. Should... To be clear, for anybody who didn't know, fifteen percent trade bonus is the max you can put in a contract. Right. In, in the past, we've seen mm-hmm. five, ten, maybe even just a, an actual number. Yep. physical dollar amount. But for the most part, it's been all fifteen percent that we've put in. So uh, it's just it's fun to see all of the different ways that a contract can be constructed within the limitations of eight percent, five percent, all of that you know, fun stuff, you know, the, the NFL has even crazier cap gymnastics that goes on, but they don't have the restrictive rules that the NBA does. So with the, the rules that the NBA has, it's just fun to see, you know, player option in three or four club option, all of that good stuff. Yeah, it really is. I, I think to, to your point, we've seen NBA teams get more, uh, intentional late in, in recent years where they are really trying to make sure that their teams are uh, set up, you know, as best, you know, for success down the line. And sometimes incentives, they can be 
handled a lot of different ways. Incentives can be uh, sometimes can be related to team level success. They can be individual player incentives. Uh, sometimes they're unlikely, but it's things like, you know, hey, three years ago, you hit 40% from three. If if you do it again, we're happy to give you an extra $500,000 or whatever the amount is that they agree upon. And uh, every once in a while, too, there are incentives that are, you know, based around, hey, you know, let's get you into a place where you play so many games and those kind of things. And if you stay healthy and on the floor, you can achieve more more money that way. So it's a, it's become kind of a fun thing to uh, trace back through and follow along uh, with all these guys because it's you know, one of those things where, they get in there and then sometimes they're, they're unlikely and you know, they're never going to hit. Right. And it's one of those things where it's like, all right, we put an unlikely incentive in for player. Y uh, if we win the NBA championship and it's like the team's so far away, but every once in a while, one, maybe the team surprises or two, maybe that guy gets traded because those will carry over They're They're never you know unique to that one team. They're always based off of whatever team you're on or whatever, you know, the uh, benchmark that the team is chasing. And Bobby Marks of ESPN does a really good co- uh, column every year where he breaks down some of the incentives, you know, that are really worth watching. And a lot of times, too, these are dancing around tax issues or even the cap. Uh, sometimes you'll put in like it, it, nobody did this this season. But when the Nets were kind of forming up around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, both of them actually took unlikely incentives in their contract with, with the Nets because what they did, which was really smart, especially Kevin Durant, who they knew wasn't going to play in that first year, they just put incentives in there that were, Hey, if you do this, yo, you, you earn it. If you don't, you don't. And then it was set up where, yeah, you know, when you do play that next year, you'll definitely have earned it. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you at that point. So those are other smart things that teams do. Yeah. And for the most part, I think the team, the, the, the contracts from the free agents that were signed were pretty efficient for the most part. I don't, Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you think there's a different one, but I, I don't see that Albatross kind of free agent contract that was signed this offseason, even though it was a fairly non-stellar <laughs> class. I, I, I really don't see one that just sticks out like, ooh, that's going to hurt them in, uh, in next year or even this yeah, year. Yeah, I don't either. I know some people are a little uh, sideways on the Jeremy Grant one, and I think that's more just, you know, that's – five-year commitment 160 million and Damian Lillard then asks for a trade but I think the reality is 32 million dollars a year for Jeremy Grant on average and it's it starts out at what right around 27 million and it's going to end around 34 million that is that's fine you know even the 34 million in year five for Jeremy Grant that the cap is going to be you know pushing way up probably you know 100 and 70 plus million at that point so that's not even going to be that concerning of a number so i think that 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 contract is perfectly fair i i have very strong doubts jeremy grant finishes it in portland i don't think that will happen uh but yeah i there there was not a single deal where i was like oh my gosh what happened here you know why yeah, what well, what was this? And that's good because usually there is a couple of those every year where I'm completely flabbergasted and I don't understand at all what's happening. So I yeah, I think teams did you know a really good job, especially considering you're dealing with all this uncertainty of a new CBA and all those things that they you know, were really kind of I'm not gonna say fully learning on the fly, but you know, it was 
you know, quite a bit like that, you know, here of just, sir, we're trying to figure this out too, you know, as we go. And I think they did a pretty good job in general. Yeah. And for a free agent class, like I said, that wasn't as stellar as most were hoping for it to be $2 billion in total value. And I go back to last season and it was 2.2 billion. So it's not far off of last off season as well. So, you know, the, the players are getting paid, which is always good. And it, it keeps, you know, the, uh, the, the, the rosters are, are getting full filled up quicker than in the mm-hmm. past. So that's a good thing. Um, anything else with free agent contracts that you noticed before we shift over? To yeah. The let's talk the extensions. Cause that's kind of where there were a couple in there where I was a little like, uh, okay. Um, you know, th- those ones <laughs> get, get to be a little bit different, but he, you know, even those, I, I don't have any that I'm going to really kill anybody on, but it was, uh, you know, just, just, just a little th- things that kind of have my eyebrows raised a little bit. Yeah. So some of the officials, I mean, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo ball, we know that we've talked about yep. those. They were super max designated. I, the ones that I have in our sheet here, are more of the ones that stuck out. Let's start with the Isaiah Stewart because that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Rookie extension, four for 60, which ends up being 15 flat for each year, including $4 million in, of incentives. This was not one that you had pegged to uh, get an extension outside of maybe if he was traded to mm-hmm. another team. So uh, I want your initial thoughts on the Stewart and Detroit Pistons signing of this extension. Yeah, I was very surprised. And this is just the nature of things. We were recording um, in the the studio in Las Vegas and we had just finished recording and had, had packed everything up. And of course this one drops in our laps and it's like, Oh, okay. Um, But you know, it's one of those ones where I think the value is fine for the player. I have no issue with that, but Detroit's in a spot where you have, uh, four bigs all in the rotation that you could argue should all be playing the five. So that's Stewart, uh, James Wiseman, Jalen Duran, and Marvin Bagley, the third, uh, the, the first or Stewart and Bagley are now on long-term deals. And then uh, both uh, Duran and Wiseman are, are still on their rookie deals. So, so you're in a spot where it is a little kind of, where are we going with this? You know, well, what are we kind of doing here? You know, with this group. And then you've got, you know, guys like Boyan Bogdanovich, who a lot of people think is best when he can kind of play a lot of minutes at the four. So just kind of a little confusing of, you know, where are we going, you know, with the, with this extension, just as from the Piston side, but I think this is a good play, right? You get a good player who's, you know, going to be worth $15 million, no matter if it's with Detroit or somewhere else. And I think, think they, they did a nice job, even if it was a surprising one that I think caught most people off guard. The other rookie extension, Bain with Memphis, ended up coming in at five for 197. Uh, It had 8.7 million of unlikely incentives with a 15% trade bonus. So this ended up coming in lower than the total max because on a guaranteed standpoint, because the unlikely, was that a surprise to you? It was a little bit, and this is also why part of why this was a surprise is this is a new thing in this CBA. It used to be if you were giving out a five-year rookie scale extension, it had to be for the max. You you, you couldn't give one uh, for five years that was a non-max extension. And in this case, uh, 
Memphis is using the new rules to basically say, hey, we're going to keep that number a little lower and incent you to try to get there, right? And we don't know yet what all those incentives are, as you referenced earlier. Sometimes they're broken up into, you know, 12 different categories and, you know, it could be, you know, a bunch of things that are, you know, 500K a piece and and then we'll, we'll figure and find those out uh, down the line. But for now, what we know with Desmond Bain is – this is, you know, still a very healthy commitment. I mean, still almost $40 million a year guaranteed, but it does give the Grizzlies a little bit of a buffer and a little bit of a, a break rather than, you know, having another guy, you know, on a full max deal like they, they do do a job rant. So good work by Memphis to, to bring that down number down just slightly. So from a semantic standpoint, this would not be considered Correct. a maximum salary because it's not fully guaranteed. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So if we're kind of going back and saying how many guys are on max deals, yeah, we can't count Desmond Bain in that number. And even if he achieves his bonuses, we still can't because next year he may not. Right. So it could be a year to year kind of thing with this. All right. Interesting stuff with that, which let's go to the even more interesting is these renegotiation yeah. and extend contracts. Cause th- those are with miles Turner and now Sabonis and Clarkson and Sabonis ended up coming in at adding $8.6 million for this season. And then tacking on four for $186 million, 10.4 million is likely because of the contract rollover uh, that he had from this current extension. So my question with this is, and you can add anything else with it, but what um, can you explain why the incentives roll over automatically, or is is it a negotiated tactic from the agent to include those into the agent? Yeah, and our guess is because these are the same numbers extension in the extension of incentives. Our guess is it probably is the same incentives, and they just rolled them in. To the new one, it's it, it, that can be negotiated. You can change, you know, well, what incentives are in there. What you can't change is you can't add a no trade clause, as we talked about earlier in the show. So you can't do that. So what happens is, you know, whether they they want to add a trade bonus in, they want to change the incentives, they want to drop them, they want to do whatever. The, the Kings and Sabonis agreed, and this was a cool process because Demontis Sabonis, all NBA player last year. Had he been drafted by the Kings or acquired even a few years earlier while still on his rookie scale deal, the Kings would have been able to give him a, you know, the designated player extension. But because the Kings got him while he was already on his uh, second contract, you can't do that. You can only do the designated player for the players who were drafted by you or you acquired them while still on their rookie contract. So what the Kings did instead was they went into the summer with cap space. They renegotiated, or let me rephrase, because they didn't, they did renegotiate Sabonis, but with other players, they negotiated new deals. So Harrison Barnes, Trey Lyles, to bring their numbers in at numbers that they felt good about. Then when they got to where they felt really good, they used the remainder of their cap space to give it to DeMontis Sabonis in a renegotiation, which then brought his number up to over 30 million. Then what happens in that position was because of the new veteran extension rules, which are now up to 140% of the prior year's salary, they added a big 
you know, number on there. It's not a designated player extension and it, it couldn't be by rule, but they did a good job of mirroring almost what, what he could have gotten um, in that type of situation. So really good work by the Kings, by Sabonis, by his agent to work together to get this player, you know, in a spot where now he's being paid like an all NBA uh, level center, you know, with over 200 million in total over the five year, you know, kind of life of the deal. Yeah, it's just a hair under the projected yep. max for next season. So it's it's great job by the front office of the Sacramento Kings to to get this done after acquiring via trade, um, showing that they'll do what it takes to retain a key player in that roster, show the rest of the league, we'll take care mm-hmm. of you if you come here for a team that has – for the most part, had not a great track record uh, or record on the <laughs> yeah. court. Um, so I, I, I'm really glad to see that we're seeing, again, the creativity following up from the Miles Turner in Indiana. Now you got Sabonis doing this. Clarkson did the same thing with Utah because they had cap space. So Clarkson added on $9.2 million this season, but then his extension was quite different than what Sabonis (laughs) did where his extension was only two for 28. So it goes the complete opposite of what Sacramento did with Sabonis. Yeah. And a cool thing in the renegotiation and extension, which is very different, you were allowed to, uh, plus up that year one salary, which that's the renegotiated year. So to your point, they brought uh, Clarkson up to about 23 and a half million um, from the 14 million or so. Then what they did is hey, and it, that, that becomes almost like a bonus, you know, for, for the player of, hey, we're going to give you some extra money. Then what we're going to do in the last two years of the deal or the, the two new years of the contract we're going to we're going to cut your salary not quite in half but but pretty close um down to about 14 million for each of the next two years and what that does is that allows the jazz then to say hey we still gave you three years you know let's call it 37ish million or so in change 38 million but most of it's going to hit this year because for the Jazz, who they use the bulk of their cap space on acquiring John Collins, um, they basically gave the rest to Jordan Clarkson saying, hey, let's renegotiate you. Let's get you to to a number that we feel pretty good about. And then that brings your next two years down. So instead of, you know, if they had to put that $30 million in each of the next two or $37 million, he, now you're talking a player who's on the books for $18, 19000000 million over the next two seasons. Well, if the Jazz look around and say, yeah, there's no free agents we really want to give nine more million dollars to this year, let's just do it. Now, Clarkson, also different from Sabonis, he made this possible because he opted in uh, to this current season, which when he opted in, it almost immediately came out after that they were going to look to potentially do this renegotiation and extension. That made a lot of sense. So, you know, two, two, uh, Similar mechanisms used, but two different pathways to get there. Um, and then two different pathways, even from the initial standpoint, where the, the Kings used it to get Sabonis' number up. So then they could extend him at a higher number coming off that. Whereas the Jazz used it in the same way that the Pacers did with Miles Turner, which was they take some extra money now, and then we can bring your future years down a little bit in the future. This is very unique. Uh, you know, it sound, seems like we just talked about three guys who've done it in the span of, what, about six-ish or so calendar months um, here. But it's uh, 
the, the, before that, the last guy who had done it was Robert Covington. And before that, it was like Danilo Gallinari and uh, Wilson Chandler. So it's not something that happens very regularly, but smart move by both the Jazz and the Kings, just like it was with the Pacers uh, in last season. So the last two that I noted here, and then you can feel free to add any other uh, extensions that you want to hit upon. Porzingis to Boston with his extension was two for 60, 29.2 and 30.7, but there's no fluff. There's no trade bonuses, no player options. It's just straight guaranteed money. And DeJounte Murray signing with Atlanta for his extension four for 114. But again, he's got quite a bit of likely and unlikely mm-hmm. incentives, but he's got a fourth year player option and the 15% trade bonus. So, um, those are just other ones that stuck out to me. Thoughts on those two? Yeah, I think with Porzingis, this was, you know, really seems like a matter of getting to a number that felt good for both sides. And apparently 30 million per year on average is what felt good for both the Celtics and Porzingis. It comes down from his prior year's salary, which was 36 million uh, for this current year that he's going to finish out the deal he signed. Um, ultimately with, I believe was the Dallas Mavericks before he's even traded to the wizards. Uh, now you're going right. to see him uh, come into, you know, this extension with Boston at a number that is, you know, kind of fair. And then uh, DeJounte Murray, a little unexpected, right? We, we had kind of thought we're probably not going to see this because even with the, the quote unquote fixed veteran extension rules, which make it more lucrative for the player was still, yeah, I don't know if that's quite enough, but DeJounte Murray, obviously in his camp feel, Hey, we don't need to bleed every single last dollar from the Hawks and the Hawks might've said, even though we traded John Collins, we've still got a pretty, pretty full payroll here. And they came to, to an agreement using the new uh, veteran extension rules versus holding out into the summertime for every last dollar you could get on the max. Last thing I want to say with extensions, there's a guy we didn't talk about yet. That's Jalen Brown. And we're all kind of still saying, what's going on here? Why is this not done? This was expected to be one of the first things that came out on July 1st. And these uh, extensions, a lot of people keep saying, why do you say July 1st? It all starts at 6 o'clock Eastern on the 30th. Extensions still have to wait until you're in the new league year. So that's why it's six hours later. It's you know kind of a silly thing, but hey, if there weren't a lot of these silly things, we we probably wouldn't have jobs uh, doing what we do, uh, covering the NBA the way we do. But it is a spot where it is a um, you know Jalen Brown's ex- uh, veteran designated veteran extension still not done, and and we don't know all the reporting is. And I can tell you, every single person I talked to in Las Vegas was, yeah, this will get done. You know, and we're not worried about it. We're not worried about it. Yeah, we're just negotiating some of the finer points of the deal, which to me, that's trade bonuses, options. Is there going to be incentives in there or not? Is it, you know, uh, where he can get 35% of the cap, but is Boston trying to get him to take 33% of the cap or something along those lines? Those are going to be things that will come out eventually. But my eyebrow is raised a little bit that we're now two weeks into, you know, the period where this could have been done and it's not done yet. That's a little strange. But if it's a designated veteran extension, doesn't it have to be the full max? No incentives in base that drop. Yeah, that's a great question. It doesn't I... actually. It just the only does the only thing is it has to be for at least thirty percent of the cap, and it can be anywhere between thirty and thirty five. And you can put incentives and everything else. You don't you don't have to go all the way to the full max 
amount. You you can uh, do kind of whatever you want in between. It does have to be five years in length. That is the one uh, key there. You can't do like a four year. It can be five years because in the last year it can be an option. That's that's a, a, a thing you're allowed to do. But but it has to be at least a five year deal. But everything else is is pretty negotiable in there under that designated uh, player language. Last thing on this one is t- time frame. He's expiring contract. He ha- he has until June thirtieth to get the extension. June thirtieth of next season, yeah, twenty twenty four. He can do it any time between now and then. Correct. There's no deadline by the end of off season. Regular season starts. He, he has all. That I have to double check and see. If in the new CBA, if any of the language has changed, it may be that he has until the start of the regular season to do the designated uh, portion that that may be. I have to check that part of it. Um, but veteran standard veteran extension. Yeah, you could do that all the way up until you know the end of the night on June 30th. And we, we saw a handful of those get done this year. But Jalen Brown. That's not enough for him, right? He's now he's looking for that two hundred plus million uh, cash in payday here. So we're we're gonna see, you know, where all this one comes together. We could spin off into trade conspiracy theories and everything else, but for now, we're just gonna take it as they're negotiating some stuff, and we'll figure it out. And if it turns into a trade, you better believe we'll be here talking about it when it gets done. Oh, absolutely. All right, real quick, draft pick contracts. All first-rounders have been signed except for Prosper with Sacramento. My guess is they're just waiting for cap space to be eaten up with uh, and, and the room exception with some of well, those remember, guys. Well, remember, he I got saw. moved to Dallas, um, oh, you know, Dallas in, in that right. trade, and I think that delayed things. Why it hasn't gotten done since, I'm not sure, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out. But, but that'll get done. There, there must have been something holding right. it up. So, so he's the only first-rounder that hasn't signed. Second-rounders... Uh, I believe 12 or 13 second rounders have signed with that new second round exception. So I love the flexibility and the uniqueness that teams can utilize with this. And I had to double check this with you when we started dropping in estimates, the CBA, the rules that they give are just the maximum that a team has to follow, but they can do anything underneath the the, up to that maximum amount of, of the rule. So I love that the teams are being flexible with the guaranteed or when if the club options guaranteed or not guaranteed. It's just, I love that flexibility. In addition, I still love the, uh, the rule that their cap doesn't hit until July 31st so that they can still do the signing. It's just a great way to get these guys in. I'm assuming teams are liking this, but my question for you in my observation with this is we're still seeing uh, seven two-way contracts have been signed. So why are teams opting to go to the two-way with second rounders when they still have that second round exception available to them? Yeah, I think what we're seeing with the teams is some players, they still view as a two-way level talent. And we're going to see one of the big conversation points that I had with multiple folks from teams was how are these rules going to change the second round of the draft? We had gotten 
into for a long time. The second round of the draft was you took flyers on guys or you drafted guys who, you know, they fell for some reason, right? It was, you know, maybe an injury related thing. Maybe it was age concern, something like that. Or you took a guy who was, all right, this guy, you know, we drafted him, but don't expect to see him for two, three years because he's going to be over in Europe, you know, honing his game over there. Now what you're seeing is, over the last, let's call it five-ish years, you saw teams, all right, you know, picks 45 and back. Hey, are you willing to take a two-way? Great, we'll draft you, and then we'll, we're going to sign you to a two-way. Um, those kind of things started happening. Now what you're seeing is, I think you're seeing some teams come back around to, wait a minute, hey, if I can sign this guy to this new four-year second-round pick exception, I don't have to eat in any of my stuff, I can bring this guy in, I've got him on this, you know, uh, uh, guaranteed and team controlled contract uh, for four years. Uh, let's go. But there's still going to be some players like a good example is Amani Bates, who the Cleveland Cavaliers drafted super highly talented kid. He was a, he was supposed to be one of the top picks in this, this class. And then just, it didn't really go that way for him. Once he got to college, he didn't have a great uh, run at Memphis. And then he struggled, um, you know, from there. And then he uh, landed at Eastern Michigan and played better. So the Cavs basically said, hey, we're going to take a shot on you because we still like you. We still like your talent. But our goal ultimately is, you know, to figure out what we got here. But we're going to figure it out through the two-way process with him. So now, you know, the Cavs down the line, if they want, and he proves worthy, they can convert him or sign him to a whole new contract if they have the ability to do so or whatever. So my guess is you're going to still see some teams use them on two ways, but we definitely did see, you know, half the round already, you know, went uh, through um, using the, the new second round pick exception, which has been really good. And you talk to a handful of teams, one of the things that they liked and the agents really liked is these guys were playing in summer league because they're already signed. There wasn't a uh, often uh, second round players. They started summer league under an agreement, you know, where it was, hey, we'll take care of you if you get hurt. Um, but every once in a while, like we saw EJ Liddell a year ago with the New Orleans Pelicans, he got hurt uh, playing in summer league before he had signed his rookie contract and he ended up landing on a two way. He since now has been signed to almost the equivalent of one of these uh, um, you know, second round pick exception type of deals, but just, you know, interesting to see how that came together, but it's, it's definitely been, been a good tweak. And we've got a, uh, I know you, Scott, you made the same mistake I've made about a hundred times. You said 11 haven't signed yet. It's only nine because there was only 58 picks this year because we had a couple couple people. Oh, yep. 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 And I kept saying, you know, oh, well, you know, that guy was the 60th pick in the draft. And people were like, he was the 58th pick. And I was like, oh, you're right. You know, uh, Philly, Philly and uh, Chicago got dinged uh, each a pick because of tampering uh, issues. So, no, I, I just had to call that out because I made that mistake no less than 10 times uh, while in Las Vegas. All right, Keith, this is great. Summer League data dump is fantastic. Um, I am going to work on getting that east up here and then get this podcast up. And then the west is going to come. So what other new things are you have on your radar? All right. So before – so – Kind of on my radar, floating out there. Ten days from now, I'm going on a on a vacation, and I am uh, I'm, <laughs> well deserved, and I am well uh, completely dropping off the grid. Uh, I, I won't I won't have access to the internet or anything for for about about a week. So I'm uh you know, I, I am both very excited and also extremely nervous because I expect about the minute I'm fully disconnected from reality, that's when Damian Lillard will probably get traded, and then you know, we'll figure it all out when I get back. But before I go, I will have a full you know thirty teams. 
I'll probably break it up east and west just so it's a little more digestible. Uh, you know, kind of off-season recap of, you know, what, what did they do? Players in, players out. Um, you know, what, what, you know, what does it look like? What do they still, what, what are your know, roster holes still to fill? Um, we'll, we'll kind of get into all that, uh, you know, coming down the line here, uh, with that. And then later this summer, we've got a lot of, you know, kind of fun things. We started talking about adding role tags to players, which are things like, you know, a rim protector, three and D, you know, shooter, those types of things, um, that, you know, we're excited where we're going to do some of that work, uh, as well as I've got a project that I want to work on, which is funny enough, we ended talking about two-way contracts, but we've got enough data now. I want to go through, hey, which teams have made the best use of the two-way process? And I've kind of started to develop a little bit of a scoring metric, if you will, towards, you know, hey, got to got them on a contract and I'm on a second contract, whatever it is, I'm going to explore some of that. And then, you know, before we know, we'll be right into, you know, cap space projections for 2024, uh, you know, uh, next contract series based off the guys who haven't signed. And, and obviously we'll continue to break down anything that comes our way as far as trades. And, you know, we've got Damon Lillard, James Harden still floating out there, maybe Pascal Siakam. Well, we'll see if something happens with that. So, you know, the, this league is, uh, Normally slowing down now, but it seems like they, they do their best to stretch all the way into August, and then everybody goes a little bit quiet. Yeah, with the next contract series, if if you are still listening at this point and you have a player that you would like to yeah, see send a, it. next contract, hit, hit hit Keith up at Keith Smith NBA and and give us your feedback because uh, you know he some of the players that he's done in the past have been because player uh, fans have reached out and said, hey, what about this player? So. Uh, Feel free to hit him up on that and anything else NBA uh, before he takes a (laughs) vacation, well-deserved vacation. Keith, thanks for all the work that you've been doing. Uh, We will keep at it through the summer and up to the new regular season. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.